turning tonight in the Word of God to 2 Timothy and the chapter 4. 2 Timothy, the chapter 4, reading from verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned on to fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is led up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Amen. We know the Lord Himself will add His blessing unto the reading of His Word in our hearing tonight. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank Thee for the book of God that we have before us. We're not looking at some nebulous thing, some hard-to-be-understood book from beginning to end that we can't make head nor tail off, something that is trussed up in a foreign language and we have no translation keys to help us. But Lord, we thank Thee for the book in our own language. And while there are, Peter said, some things hard to be understood, yet the majority of the book is very, very plain. And if we were, if we were to look at and put into practice all that is plain and crystal clear within the book, well, it would take us a lifetime in doing that. So we don't need to be so perturbed about some things scattered here, scattered there, that we don't happen to readily understand. We know that we have all the vital truths for living, and we thank Thee we have all the vital truths for godliness, and we have all the vital truths for evangelism, and we have all those vital truths, of course, for salvation and getting us to Christ and helping us to see more and more of Him, everything there in plain and stark relief. And so help us to take that truth on board and to work it out in our lives that others may see Christ living in us. We pray in Jesus' name and for thine eternal glory. Amen. 
We're going to look at three verses tonight in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I don't give any prizes tonight for guessing what they are. They're going to be verse 6 and through to the verse 8. So 6, 7, and 8 in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and what we have here is a Christian's last testament. A Christian's last testament. One of the greatest testimonies, indeed, of all the ages is recorded here. One of Christian faith, one of Christian conflict, and one of Christian victory in the middle of that conflict. And there's no doubt, we know the life of the Apostle Paul, and we can read many, many times in his epistles just the kind of calling that he had, and the difficulties that were sprinkled freely across his path. So we can tell ourselves the terribly adverse circumstances in which he found himself in. And those circumstances did not lessen or alleviate as he came to die. And he's writing from the Mamertine prison in Rome. That at least is what most commentators believe here. And he's coming to the end of his days upon the earth. He picks up the pen. He wants to write words of counsel to the young Timothy, his son in the faith, one who was going to be a preacher of the gospel of God's grace. And what we have, though Paul is weak in body, he's clear in mind. He knows as well here that his death will in all probability be a very agonizing one. He will pay for his loyalty to Christ. So how does he react in the kind of circumstances that he finds himself in here? The reaction it comes in three sections here. And in verse 7, we'll begin in verse 7, so the middle of the two verses is our starting point. Then we'll go back to verse 6, and then we'll go forward to the final verse that we're looking at, and that is verse 8. So in that order. Verse 7 brings us to a backward look. The backward look. And he's looking back into the past, and here is his testimony regarding the past. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And the language that he's using here is very much reliant on the Olympic Games that he would have been very familiar with, or the old Greek Games. And so he's thinking here, first of all, of being a fighter. I have fought a good fight. And he was in no doubt whatsoever that it was just like being one of those combatants out in the public arena in the middle of a fierce contest, and that had been his life for Jesus Christ. He had been in the arena in the hottest part of it for God. He had fought desperately, and here's what he can say as he looks back over all of that conflict, I have done my best. And I wonder, can we say the same? Can we look truthfully over the course of our lives when we have been in Christ and say, I have always done my best for the Lord? Notice the fight he describes it here as being a good fight. I have fought a good fight. And in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 30, you'll find how that good fight is described. We might be called upon 
for the Lord Jesus' sake, to suffer for Him in the way that Paul the Apostle was. But he looked upon all of that, despite all of the difficulties, as an honorable thing. It conferred honor upon him. It agreed with him very much. It comforted and it confirmed him. This fight was good. And that was principally because he had a great captain and he was fighting on the winning side. I have fought a good fight. So he sees himself first as a fighter, then in this backward look over his life, he views himself as a runner. And we have another picture here of those Greek or Olympic games. This time, not the wrestler, but the sprinter is in mind. And concerning that part of the race, he says, I have finished it. And you can cross-reference that in John 17 and 4, and even better, John 19 and 30, where our Savior on Calvary cries, it is finished. And the word that he uses is from the same term that Paul here is saying in this text, in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7, that he has fought a good fight, I have finished my course. This runner has run on to the end. Many times we know we stumble and fall, but thank God our path is, as his was, carefully marked out. As soon as God saved him, and we're back in Acts chapter 9 for that, as soon as God saved him, he said at that time that he had called him to be a light to the Gentiles and the glory of his people Israel. He was going to go out there as a witness for the Lord. And every time you catch up with Paul right through the rest of the book of Acts, what's he doing? He's doing what God called him to do. He's fulfilling the terms of God's mandate for his life. Now, it was a rough and a difficult course. I know many of us imagine that the days that we live in are hard. I know many of us will say, well, our circumstances often conspire against us. We are in a difficult part of the road. But when I look at Paul, I can't really see a time when he wasn't on a rough and he wasn't in a difficult part of the road. It was a very difficult run for him here, and he showed grit as well as he did grace all along the pathway. And as we're calling upon God for help in our lives, we need these two commodities as well. Grace, of course, but we need grit to keep going as well. Backward look as a fighter, as a runner, and then he terms himself as a believer. A believer. I have kept the faith. What did he mean when he said here, I have kept the faith? Well, just as we have in the book of Jude in the verse 3, that common salvation once for all delivered unto the saints, he is saying, I have kept that, that which has been delivered into my hand. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 13 and 14, that holy deposit of truth that was committed to his charge, he has kept. He's also kept the rules. He has gone by God's leading, His instruction, and He has stayed within the boundaries the Lord has set. I have kept the faith, and His trust in God 
even when things began as it seemed to the human eye to be falling apart, even when the ceiling collapsed on him, even when the difficulties came, such as shipwrecks, such as stonings, such as the viper, all these things that conspired against him. He was like Jubinus. His trust in God did not waver. He knoweth the way that I take, Job said, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And so this backward look that he takes in verse 7 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. He sees himself as a fighter, a runner, and a believer, and this is his testimony. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. But then going beyond the backward look, we're coming to consider the upward look And you'll find that, as we've already mentioned in verse 6, "'For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand.'" The upward look. I'm leaving the fight. I'm pulling out, having completed it, of the race. I will no longer be called upon to be a champion for the truth of God because He is calling me home. I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Here's a man that was ready to preach, ready to suffer, ready to teach, ready to travel, ready even to die for Christ. And the words that he uses here, I am now ready to be offered, literally are, I am poured out as a drink offering. What it does is, it lets us see what perspective Paul had on life. Because what he's referring to there, poured out as a drink offering, ready to be offered, what he means by that is, it's the old Roman custom. Every Roman meal ended with a kind of sacrifice. A cup of wine was taken and poured out to the gods, false gods, of course, as a libation. Now, Paul is saying, lifting it way up onto a new level entirely, he is saying here, my life is being poured out in continual sacrifice to the Almighty Lord God, the true God who gave himself for me and poured out his life on my behalf. Is that what we can say about our lives, that they are being poured out as a drink offering before the Lord? If that's how we view living in this world, that will transform the way we look at trouble. That would encourage us to endure because we are going the path of the Savior. It is the path the Master trod. Shoot not the servant, tread it still. It will transform our trouble, encourage us in our endurance. And of course, Paul in another passage, Romans 12 and 1, he encourages us to be presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, content, happy that it should be poured out in service, maybe even in suffering before the Lord if the occasion demands that. So that's how he viewed his life. He just brought it as a sacrifice to Christ, and he poured it out 
before him. But not only do we see his view of life here, but we also catch a sight of his view of death, of course. What's death for the Christian? Well, Paul has a word for it. I am now ready to be offered the time of my departure. Death is a departure, leaving the scene of time, not venturing as many fear. Thomas Hobbes, away back, generations ago, an atheist, very well known, talked about the ending of his life. He is taking a leap into the dark. Well, the Christian is not leaping into the dark, but he is going into the light. He has run, and he keeps running into the light, fought, and he keeps fighting right through until he gets into the light. He's in the departure lounge. And just how far through that we are, you and I just don't know. He's not going into purgatory. No such a place will we ever find in Scripture. It is not taught at all. And that would be a separate subject, of course, to go into all of the biblical teaching that will indicate, absent from the body, present with the Lord, He is going to heaven. And as we heard, and by the way, if you didn't tune in to the funeral service yesterday for our sister Olive Orr, and therefore wouldn't have heard Reverend Michael Patrick's message, I would encourage you to tune into it. A very excellent message indeed not into purgatory, but into heaven. Second Corinthians 5, the verse 1 and 2, the verse 8 as well, Philippians 1, 21 to 24, and the teaching there is that death is an unloosing that releases us from all of the trouble and the bondage of this present old crippled world, and it brings us to the other side, his view of death. There was an old Anglican Camel, Guy H. King. I've talked about him before, and if you ever see any of his books, then they're generally quite small books, easily, very easily read. I would advise you to read them, pick it up. You'll get it for a few pounds, I would imagine. And he went into this word, departure. And he said, it's a prisoner's word that indicates a release from bondage. His chains are falling off. He's set free, fully free, finally free, forever free in the experience of the child of God. A farmer's word. And the farmer would use the word here for the unyoking of the oxen. Given the fact they've done their job, they've plowed the field, they've carried the load, and then he's rewarding them with rest, and he takes the yoke off them. My departure is at hand. It's a warrior's word, taking down the tent here. And what a picture we have. The warrior, he's been in the great encampment, ready for the battle. And they have got themselves ready, and then they've taken to the field of conflict, and they've waged the warfare. And when it's over, and they're victorious, Well, they don't need the camp any longer. And as they pass back, and maybe go back to the capital city where there's a big parade and all the rest of it, the laurels are thrown around about them, they'll take down the tent. They'll pull up the pegs. They'll take the cords. And so on they will go. I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. This old house I'm living in 
is needing repair. But lately, I've got leaving, got leaving on my mind. There's taking down the old tent. It's also a seaman's word, this departure term, and it means the unmooring of a ship. It has been tied up in the harbor, and now we're going to set sail into the wide open ocean. And the rope is pulled away, the chain is taken off, and the ship is unmoored again, and off we go. It's a philosopher's word, and how he employs it is. When there's these naughty issues that we need to get our mind and our mental juices flowing around and try to work out solutions and get the equations and get the answer, the unraveling of naughty issues. I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. And so we have here the backward look over where he has been, the upward look in that God is now going to receive him at the end of the journey, and we have the forward look as well. And we come there for the verse 8 of Second Timothy chapter 4, now the verse 8. Henceforth, there is led up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Very soon in our country there's going to be another coronation. Most of us haven't seen, witnessed in our own lifetime a coronation in our country. But there's going to be another one. And when Charles III gets that crown that's worth countless millions upon his head, well, I'm sure we'll be thinking in these terms of the Apostle Paul that every child of God has a crown. And that crown is of infinite value. But though it is so precious and valuable, there will come a day, and the one thing we'll have in our heart and mind is to take that crown and to put it on the head of Jesus Christ. The hymn writer says, we will crown Him Lord of all. Another one says, crown Him with many crowns, the Lamb upon His throne. And notice how there will be this complete number of crowns unto all them. It's not a singular crown here for one monarch, unto all them also that love his appearing. That's what it's going to happen to. So we have a forward look that is very much worth considering. What Paul is doing here is expressing confidence, absolute confidence in the life that is to come. And so, if we look at verse 8 again, what do we have right at the beginning? He tells us, oh, it's not over. Yeah, my race is run. The fight has been fought. I have kept the faith, but there's more. And maybe in writing, you would just write dot, 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 and there's more to follow. Henceforth, he says, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. So, he's thinking very persuasively about the life to come. Death doesn't end it for the child of God. There is a henceforth confidence in the life to come. Confidence as well, he expresses, in the return of Christ. And if you look at the end of verse 8, what do we have? The terms in our English Bible, His appearing. His appearing. Paul 
He's pulling down the tent. He's moving on to his reward in glory. But he talks about all the saints of God, how someday they will witness the return, the appearing of Jesus Christ, and they are loving the thought. And how much more will they love the reality? That hope to him was a constant inspiration, a long life's journey. It was a purifying hope, as his fellow apostle John expressed in 1 John 3 and 3. It was a sustaining hope, and we heard about that as well yesterday, 1 Thessalonians 4 and the verse 18, wherefore, comfort one another with these words, confidence in the life to come, confidence in the return of Christ, and then finally confidence in the day of reward. He's referring here to the laurel wreath that the winner in the Grecian games would have had given to him. And the point of notice is here, Paul had suffered, how he had suffered in the cause of Jesus Christ. But rewards are going to come, and they will more than compensate for any and all the suffering that he has ever endured. We can think of 1 Peter chapter 5 and 4, Revelation 22 and the verse 14 And in conclusion, we ask ourselves the question, well, this is Paul's testimony, the last testament of a dying saint. Will this ever be able to be said of us? For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is led up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. Paul's testimony is it ours.